For those of you I haven't had a chance to talk to or meet yet, my name is Eric, and I'm the youth pastor here at Core Church. And what we're doing today is we are finishing off our series called Ignite, where we have been talking about spiritual practices that when you apply them to your life, can ignite your faith. And we've talked about seven so far. So we're going to say them out loud because I know all of you remember them. So starting with one. Ready? No. Yeah, I, I, I brought my cheat sheet. But the first one that we talked about was daily devotions, divine direction. Divine direction for our lives is found in daily devotion. The second one we talked about was Sunday worship. When the people of God bring the presence of God into the place of God, we experience the power of God. The third one was continual surrender. Continual surrender to God's spirit builds a confident spirit. The fourth one was sharing Christ. Sharing Christ is sharing life. The fifth one we talked about was persistent prayer. Persistent prayer reveals God's sovereignty in the midst of my uncertainty. Godly friendships. Godly friendships help me get through life's hardships. And last week we talked about generous giving. Generous giving is radical living. And I would encourage you that if you missed a week of this series to catch up on the podcast, go to courtchurch.com. It has just been so helpful to me. I mean, a series that can help ignite my faith. It's not just something that we're talking about because it sounds good and it looks good on the screen. We're talking about this because it has the, the impact to ignite your faith and an experience that you will, you will never, never forget. So check out courtchurch.com for the rest of that. Today, we're finishing our series by talking about sacrificial serving. And we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 6 today. So if you have your Bible on your smartphone, or you got your, your old school paper Bible with you, get that out. Go to chapter 6. And I read out of the New Living Translation if you're going to follow along. And if you don't have a Bible, by the way, I would really encourage you to go to your app store and download version. It's the best Bible app that's out there. And again, I, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so you're going to follow along on your smart device. And to give you some background of what's going on, the book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke, and it was written to document the beginning and the formation and the spread of the early church. And this story that we're looking at today, it gives us some really interesting details about what, what's going on in the church, because there, there used to be 100 people that were coming to the church. Now there's 15,000, 15,000 people. And I know that a lot of us have Instagram on our phones, and we like taking those pictures. Instagram is, is great, but this is like insta-mega church. Like overnight, there are 15,000 people that are coming to the church. And what this story tells us is the, the problems that they ran into, the hardship that they ran into. And again, I'm in Acts chapter 6. We're going to read verse 1 through 7. It says this, But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility, and then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea. And they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Pecurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convent, convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. 
So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Let's pray. God, thank you for this chance that we have to gather here with our friends and our family and then be together with the body of Christ. What a blessing. For that, we give you praise. God, I pray that as we open this story and we look at the impact that it can have on our life, that we find relevance in it. And I pray that we look at this story. Maybe we've read it, maybe we haven't, but God, I pray that we will just find new life in it. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will wash over us in just a powerful way as we do that. And I pray that I will be faithful to the text and say only what you once said. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I have three boys, and my middle son, his name is Zeke. And for those of you that don't know Zeke, he is six years old, and he is uh, he's such a kind, nice little boy. He's in kindergarten, and, I, and he just absolutely loves school. And I have never in my life met a child that loves school as much as Zeke does. I mean, he has a countdown to when school starts again. Whereas I had a countdown to when it was finished. I had a countdown to the weekend. I had a countdown to Christmas break. I had a countdown to everything, everywhere that I wasn't going to be at school. Whereas he wakes up and he loves it. We got worried there for a second, though, because the teacher didn't uh, schedule a parent-teacher conference with Zeke. And we're like, ooh, is that good? Is that bad? And so we, we reached out to the teacher. And she said, oh, Zeke, he doesn't need a parent-teacher conference. He's just so sweet. So that, is, that kind of paints a picture of who Zeke is. And let me give you an example of what I mean by that, just his, his kind spirit. Last week, we were getting ready to sit down at the dinner. Uh, for, uh, at the, sit down at dinner. We we're going to sit down at the table for dinner. And I asked Zeke, I said, hey, buddy, can you help me feed the dogs? And so Zeke, he responds and goes, it's not my turn. But I'll do it. Bends down, he gets the dog, the dog bowls, and he walks into the garage, gets the dog food, and walks in. And he's not a teenager. Remember, he's six years old, but he's muttering under his breath like teenagers do so well. And I'm like, yeah, those are parents of teenagers right there. And I'm like, Zeke, what are you, what are you saying, buddy? And he goes, oh, I'm just saying it's not my turn. I did it last night. He puts down the dog bowls, and he goes, and you're the worst dad ever. What? And in my mind, I'm thinking, how did we get here? I'll do it. It's not my turn. I did it last night. You're the worst dad ever? And this coming from the kid who who does not, key key phrase there, does not need a parent-teacher conference, right? That, That is a snapshot of the Hawkinson household right there. True story, hashtag truth, of my son, Zeke. And when I think about that, I think that's the reaction that we can have to serving sometimes. When the idea presents itself, or maybe we're asked about it, we can go, oh, I'll do it. It's not my turn. I did it last week, or I've done my time. Like, we've all heard those phrases, right? That's how we can react to serving. Sometimes, some of us, we get pumped up and we get fired up and we're like, yeah, let's do this. Like Ric Flair, the wrestler that always spit water for some theatrical reason. I didn't really get that. But that's, that's our reaction that we can have to serving. Some of us, 
When we hear the phrase sacrificial serving, we clam up and we freeze and our palms get sweaty and the hair on the back of our neck raises and we kind of break out into a sweat. We're like, I think I got the flu or something's wrong. (laughs) And we can think, we can think that sacrificial serving is like a T-Rex dinosaur. Any, uh, any Jurassic Park, Jurassic World fans in here? Yeah. Well, in, in the older movie, Jurassic Park, one of the key characters says that, that a T-Rex, if you don't move, he can't see you. That's sacrificial serving. <laughs> so I, I'm going to plant myself. I'm not going to move. Certainly not going to make eye contact. <laughs> and sacrificial serving won't eat me. That can be our reaction sometimes. Sometimes our reaction can be like we're waiting for an Amazon package to arrive. Wait, we've got the app, we're tracking it, and we're like, oh, I'm so excited, two more days, two more days, two more days. Your neighbors know about this package that's coming because you've told everybody, you've tweeted it, you've posted it everywhere. I cannot wait, two more days. That can be our reaction to serving. And what I absolutely love about our church is that we have over 170 people that react that way to serving. People who know, yeah. People who know that there are people who are far away from God and they're gonna do anything they have to do to see them take steps closer to Jesus. And if you're new here at Core Church, you can't come for very long before you hear us talk about serving. I mean, it is a big deal. We just love it. And take yesterday, for example, the serve day, the Abba Center. We were there at 8 o'clock in the morning. We were there till noon. People that sacrificed a Saturday just so that they could come and serve and just be a part of the incredible things that God is doing there. And I just want to say thanks to everybody that was there yesterday. Can we just give them a hand for the work that they did? Oh, man. That's what I love about our church is we get it. But if I'm being honest, it's easy to think, over 170, wow. I mean, it seems like you guys are you're good. What difference does it make if I serve? What's the big deal if I serve? What does it matter if I serve? I mean, 170, you guys are good, right? Some of you that are, that are serving, you, you might have even wondered at times, like, why am I serving at the church? I mean, I get emails from the school, different work projects around the city that we could volunteer for, the YMCA. Why, why the church? And you know what I think when we ask those questions and why we think those things? I think it's because we don't see ourselves as answers to somebody's problems. We don't see that we can be the answer to somebody's problems. And sometimes we don't serve or we have an unhealthy view of serving because we don't see ourselves as that answer to somebody's problem. And what we're doing when we think that way is we are devaluing our impact. And we all do it. We all do this. We think, hey, I'm not making a difference. That is reserved for the Mother Teresas of the world. Making that kind of an impact, that's, that's reserved for Tim Tebow and his foundation, the incredible things that he's doing. I mean, you want me to shake hands like I'm just not seeing a correlation here. Or we can elevate other acts of service above others. For example, like disaster cleanup. We can elevate that above something else, and we can think, now that, now they're really serving Jesus. I mean, disaster cleanup, 
And you're asking me to put pins in the back of a chair? I'm, I'm not tracking here. I, I just don't see disaster cleanup, putting pins in the back of a chair. I'm just not, I'm just not getting it here. And we can think that, like yesterday, the serve day or feeding, feeding uh, uh, the homeless and giving them food and giving them clothing, we can think, oh, now that is really serving Jesus. But if we're not careful, we can come to church. And those of you on a core team, we can think, I'm not really sure why I'm doing this. I guess because I was asked. <laughs> I know what it is. I made eye contact. That's why, <laughs> that's why I'm doing this. Because honestly, and here's, here's where our mind can just play games with us. We can think, because honestly, what kind of an impact is shaking a hand or giving a snack to a kid, straightening some chairs, what kind of impact is that going to make? Why does it matter if somebody's standing at the doors to welcome somebody in? Why do, I, why do I have to give a cup of coffee to somebody? What does it matter if we have people checking in families with their kids? We've got a sign. I mean, can't they read? I don't even like coffee, and I'm going to serve it to people? That's not true. I, I love coffee. I'm just speculating here of thoughts that we can have, right? Isn't that amazing how our mind can talk us out of doing something incredible? And we can think, what does it matter if I, if I serve kids and mentor students? What kind of a difference is that going to make? What we're going to see today is that in the early church, the littlest thing made the biggest impact. And we see the beginning of it in verse 1. So go to, that, uh, go to Acts chapter 6, verse 1 again. This is what it says. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So here's what's going on. It's pretty much the Hebrews against the Greeks. I mean, like, there is an invisible line that has been drawn in the sand. And, and, and the, the tension is tangible because what's happened is the church is mostly comprised of Jews who are looking after themselves and getting all the food for themselves. And naturally, the Greeks, they're feeling neglected. They're feeling left out. They're wondering, hey, what's going on here? And that's where the rumblings began because the Jews were only looking after themselves and taking most of the food. The church was growing, and incredible things were happening, but there were rumblings of discontent. And something that we believe here at Core Church is that this is the year of multiplication. We just believe that. But if we're not careful, just like the early church in this story, as they're growing, if we're not careful, this story could become ours too. This is what's going to happen as we grow if we don't all get in the game. A new family's going to come for the first time. And nobody's going to be at the door to welcome them. Nobody's going to be there to give them a smile. Maybe the first one they've seen all week. And nobody's going to be there to help them check in their kids. Nobody's going to give them a handshake to say, hey, I'm really glad that you're here today. Nobody's going to welcome them as they come into the auditorium, and, and what do you think is going to happen? They're going to they're leave, and they're going to feel neglected. Just like the Greeks in this story, they're going to feel forgotten and pushed aside, and they're not going to get the chance to experience the hope of Jesus. And something that we've got to remember is as we grow, yeah, we're going to have first-time guests, but something that maybe we don't think about is that a lot of first-time guests, they're last-time guests. 
they're coming in to give church, not, not just our church, but like capital C church in general. They're coming in to give it one last, one last try. And you may have noticed that over the last year, we are growing. God is doing incredible things. We've moved from one service to two services, and we're having more first-time guests come every single week. This is a really good thing, and we are just pumped up about it. Because what that means is that people who are far from God are finding hope, healing, peace, and purpose in Jesus. This is what's happening in the early church. They're growing. Incredible things are happening. But then there aren't enough hands to handle the growth. And there began to be this discontent. Because again, you've got the, the one group, the Hebrews, who are looking after themselves, getting all the food for themselves, and the Greeks who are feeling slighted and forgotten. And the Greeks started to complain. But the Hebrews were like, this is the strangest thing. I, I don't know what you're complaining about. I mean, we, we've got food, so, so we're good. And isn't that funny that you fast forward thousands of years and nothing has changed about humanity? When there's a lack, we immediately begin to think about ourselves. And I'm the best at this. Let me just, let me just throw that out there. When I was a kid, in the summertime, we'd go to Colorado, and my Nima, my, uh, my grandma, call her Nima. You guys have weird names for your relatives, too, but we call her Nima. And my, uh, my Nima would give my brother and my sister and I a roll of quarters that was worth $10. And 20 years ago, that was a lot of money, especially when you went to an arcade. And this arcade that we would go to in Colorado was just great. And we'd go there two or three times throughout the trip that we had there. And that last time to the arcade, ooh, boy, those quarters were running thin. And my brother and my sister, they would kind of look around and be like, hey, got any quarters? My, uh, you know, I don't hear that jingle anymore. And I'm a, uh, I'm a middle child. Maybe I should have thrown that out there earlier. I would explain a lot. <laughs> but so naturally, I've hoarded my quarters for myself. I probably spent like four because I knew that last trip to the arcade is coming. So here I am, and there's a lack. There's a lack of quarters. And so what was my response to the lack of quarters to my brother and sister when they asked, hey, you got any quarters? Looking at the stash in my pocket, and I'm like, nope. <laughs> and there I am at the skee-ball machine, cranking that down, rolling the skee-balls, thinking of myself, fending for myself, alone by myself. And as far as I was concerned, in that moment, I was... Hashtag living the dream. Because there wasn't a lack for me. I'm good, right? I mean, it's the strangest thing. I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm good. I've got quarters. And you know what's funny about that mindset is it's not an other's mindset. And I think we can have that mindset because we think that serving, I mean, it's just something that we do. But what I find amazing is that Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was the most worthy to be served, he came to walk among humanity. And what did he do? He healed people. When people needed to be fed, he fed them. He, felt, he fed thousands and thousands of people. He rightfully could have said, hey, you serve me first. Jesus here, Son of God, kind of a big deal, I'll take my plate of, of Charlie's chicken, please. You know, he could have said, rightfully so, you serve me first. But he served them first. Jesus said, 
that I have come to serve, not to be served. And later on, he went on to say that the greatest, the greatest among you will be a servant. And he called his followers to live that same way. So if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down. Students, here's a chance to impress your parents. So grab that note card out of the front, grab a pen, act like you look like you know what you're doing. Maybe give them a, no, don't do that. <laughs> It'd just be weird. But, but I, 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 seriously, I, I encourage you to write this down. Jesus knew that sacrificial serving isn't just something we do. A sacrificial servant is who we are. Say it again. Sacrificial serving isn't just something that we do. A sacrificial servant is who we are. And we hear that, and that sounds great, except for the word that was led with, sacrifice. Mm. We don't like that word sacrifice because we know it's gonna cost us something. But when we think that way, that means that everyone is needed. And the apostles recognize that. Look at how they respond in verse two to this need and to a lack. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. So maybe you hear this and maybe you're thinking, so are the apostles too good to run the food pantry? That's not what this means. What this means is they've been in this problem before. Two times earlier, throughout the Gospels in the New Testament, there are stories that are referred to as the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. So two times where the apostles were, were presented with a food distribution problem. So picture this. They're with Jesus. Jesus is teaching in a far remote place of town, removed from research. Okay, they can't just go and get a chicken and some buns and call it good. And there are thousands of people. And I know the story says 4,000 or 5,000, but they didn't count the women and children. So there are tens of thousands of people at this. And it's getting late, and everybody's getting hungry. And the apostles, they panic. And they look at Jesus, and they're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed all these people? Jesus goes, okay, this is what this looks like. This is what we're going to do. This is how we do this. Oh, great, got it. The second time, thousands and thousands of people, remote place of town, no food, everybody's hungry, the apostles panic. They look at Jesus, and they're like, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna feed all these people? And Jesus lovingly says, this is what we're gonna do, this is what we do, this is how this is gonna happen. And now they're at it a third time, a food distribution problem. And it's not, that like it, it's not like it was a resource problem. Okay, the church had resources, but what they needed was people operating in their gifting. And it's not that the apostles realized that they were too good for this. They realized that they were no good for this. I mean, third time is not the charm, people. <laughs> they suck at this. Like reading this story, I'm like, oh my goodness. And even the third time, with the power of the Holy Spirit, they couldn't pull this off. But they knew, they knew that the message and that the hope of Jesus was not going to spread unless they could find somebody to run the food program. 
And some of you, you hear this story and you're like, I am an apostle. I would not do well at a food program because you know your gifts. But some of you, you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know if I would be good at that. I don't know if I, if I know my gifts. If you don't know your gifts, I would really encourage you to come to Discover. It's happening right now. And it's gonna happen again at the end of April. It's an incredible thing to come because what you leave with are your spiritual gifts, the things that God has wired you for, that he has created you for. And you also leave knowing a couple areas in the church that you'd best be suited for to serve. And it is an incredible thing knowing your gifts because it lets you know what God has wired you for. You discover your purpose. And what's been amazing to see are the people that have come out of that and are just rocking at serving and rocking at their gifting. And Justin, right here in the front, he's a prime example of that. I don't know if you've been in the room at the front, but Justin has done some incredible things because he realized that his gifts, he's good with his hands. He's good building stuff. And man, God bless him for it because I can't do that stuff. You look at all this wood stuff that's been built and created, and I'm like, like yesterday, for example, we had to move this 300-pound slab of granite, and I'm looking at it like, oh, Oh, isn't that something? <laughs> you know, and then this guy comes over and he screws a couple boards together and has this uh, thing. <laughs> and they're like, this is how we do this. And I'm like, you go for it. Because that's just, I'm just not good at that stuff. But what's amazing to see is that Justin has done other things around the church. He has other things planned, and he can't be stopped. Why? Because he knows his gifts. And some of you, you're going to go through Discover and realize that you've got the gift of leadership. God wants to rise some of you out of the seats and in to leadership, just like the men in this story. Verse 3 tells us about it. Verse 3 says this. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. So here's what the church, excuse me, this, here's what the church did. They found these seven guys and raised them up into leadership. And those seven raised up other leaders and rallied them to the cause because they realized we, seven guys are not gonna cut this. And, and, and think about this, seven guys feeding 15,000 people. They realized that, man, we need other people to help to make this happen because it's not just about hand and bread. It's not, that's not all that, that it takes. I mean, we're talking about tables and chairs and lines and groups and circles and leaders bringing food and taking it other places. And they needed people to, to figure out what to do with, with the, the leftovers and pe- they needed people to work with their hands and people that were just gifted in their minds and could see the big picture Seven guys just weren't going to cut it. And that's true with every single ministry here in our church. Seven people just aren't gonna get it done. That's very true of the youth ministry. As much as I would love to connect with every single student, I just can't do that. We need other people to, to mentor and lead those students. And thank God we have leaders and mentors to encourage those students. You think about the guest services team. Think about what wouldn't happen if we didn't have the guest services team. You're shaking hands, you're giving coffee, and some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, I can't shake hands. 
So I, I, I can't be on the guest services team. Well, sure you can. There's a lot of things that you can do on the guest services team that happen off the stage, out of the spotlight, that make an impact. And some of you, you hear that and you're like, oh, I like that idea. Do you remember how the story began? There were rumblings, there was fighting, there was arguments, there was bitterness, there was discontent. Everyone's mad. The church is falling apart. They don't have enough volunteers. They're not sure how they're gonna make this work. They're not sure how they're gonna keep this thing happening. But then the apostles had an idea. They had this idea about the food distribution system and how to make it better. And look what happens in verse five because of this idea that they had. I love this. First part of verse five. Everyone liked this idea. So what started out as a moment of fighting and argument and division, everyone likes this idea. There were rumblings and discontent, but now there's unity. Everyone liked this idea, and everyone got moving. They were all in agreement, and they realized that it's not just about the apostles. It's about other people having ownership and getting involved and realizing that, wow, I am a part of something bigger than myself. And they started serving with the mindset, the crazy mindset of, what can I do for someone else? Oh, but like I said earlier, we just do not like that word sacrifice. And I mean, hey, we'll sing about it. You know, I'll raise a hand. Maybe two. And we'll listen to stories about what other people have done, and we'll be like, oh, man, good for you. That is just incredible. But we do not like sacrifice. Why? Because it's hard. Sacrifice literally means that it's going to cost you something. For those of you who are serving on a core team, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for your sacrifice. You're coming here early, and you're putting pins in the back of chairs, and you're putting note cards in the back of chairs. You're sacrificing your time, you're sacrificing extra sleep. I mean, come on, let's get real. Some of you, you have your kids in, in core kids for two services because you're just like, I, I gotta do this. And because of that, because you sacrificially serve, people are finding hope, people are finding healing, people are experiencing peace, and people are discovering your purpose because you sacrificially serve. People discover a purpose. A crazy purpose, this crazy idea to serve students and tell them about Jesus. I mean, that's my story. Paul Baker, that was the name of the guy that sacrificially served, that sacrificed his time, his weekends, countless nights, pouring into me and telling me what youth ministry was going to be about, what ministry was gonna be about and the life that you can lead by serving. I, I'm literally standing here because somebody sacrificially served. Sacrificial serving isn't just something we do. A sacrificial servant 
is who we are. And when we realize this, we begin to think more about others, more about others than we do ourselves. We begin to realize that if we're going to serve, it's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to cost me something, but I'm okay with that because this is who we are, right? And this goes, this goes beyond the church because as followers of Jesus, we want to look like Jesus more and more every day, everywhere that we go. And what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He was a servant to everyone. He healed people. He washed their feet. He fed them. He loved them. He ate with them. It wasn't just something he did. It was who he is. And it's who we are too. And we can respond in the same way. And what's amazing in those moments is we are the most like Christ because we realize there is something going on in me that I can't really even put into words. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit because you're realizing whatever it is that you find yourself doing, whatever capacity you find yourself serving in, you are on fire because you realize this is what God has created me for. This is what God has called me to do. I have a purpose and this is it. And that could be a number of things here at the church. And what's amazing is in those moments we're the most like Christ because the message of Jesus is spreading and people are finding hope because of that. It's an incredible thing. Because of your sacrifice, the message of Jesus is gonna spread. Listen to verse seven. I love, I love this. Because of the sacrifice, because of the sacrificial serving of the early church. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So because of how they responded, the message and the hope of Jesus continued to spread. And you know what I find amazing? If they didn't respond in the way that they did, the message of Jesus wouldn't have gone to the Gentiles, and we wouldn't be here today. What we know of church today would not look the way that it does today had they not sacrificially served. So in that last verse, so, so is a big word. It's kind of a big deal. You did this, so this happened. And what happened? The message of Jesus continued to spread because people began to sacrificially serve. So much, so much, so much hangs on our serving. So much. Let me just tell you a story about what happened a couple weeks ago. There was a kid back in Core Kids in 252, and uh, man, he was just having, he was having a rough day. It was just not, it was just not going well. And he's, he's not a guest, he comes all the time. But man, this, this boy was just having a really, really tough time. And Donnie Duntley, one of the male coaches back in 252, realized what was going on. And he stepped up. And he stepped in. And he mentored this little boy. And he told him about Jesus. And in that moment, everything changed for that kid. Everything changed. The rest of the day was different. And then the dad found out about it. And the impact that it had on the dad was, 
I mean, just, just indescribable. It changed that boy. It changed the father and it impacted the family. And if you talk to Donnie, he'll probably say, oh, that, that big of a deal. I mean, we just, just played foosball. Just colored a picture. But the impact that it had was indescribable. You know why I know it made such a difference? Because I was that dad. That was my son. And somebody got out of the seats to sacrificially serve. And it changed the dynamic of that day for that boy and for our, for our family. This is what we do. This is who we are. And I want you to just imagine for a second. Imagine the impact. Imagine. Imagine the impact that you could have. Imagine the lives that you could change. I mean, you're changing my life. My life is literally changed because you sacrificially serve. Isn't that amazing? That's just the way that it works. We get so caught up on, on my needs and this, and, but you know what? What can I do for somebody else? I'm gonna sacrificially serve. The impact that it makes is just unreal. Sacrificial serving isn't just something we do. A sacrificial servant is who we are. So don't devalue your serving. Don't compare it to something else. Don't devalue the impact that you can have on lives. As we looked at and saw in the story, the littlest things make the biggest difference.